on today's episode of Diving In. My entire identity was taken from me because of this disease. And so I was kind of stuck having to face and answer that question, like, who are you outside of all the things that you, like, do? Um, like, what are you actually like <laughs> outside of the things your body is, is capable of doing? Welcome to Diving In, a podcast aiming to explore the deeper themes behind the entertainment and content creation industries. I'm Leslie Mosier. And I'm Marissa Mullen. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Diving In. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and this is a chronic illness that's very close to home for Leslie. Today on the show, we have Jenna Reich, who is a huge advocate in the community. She's provided so many resources for millions of people who struggle with this illness that is pretty under-researched and something that is difficult to find and to even explain how the pain feels. So Leslie, I know that you just went through your excision surgery, which has changed your life. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey before we dive in with Jenna. Yeah. So first, Marissa, I just want to say thank you for being so down and excited about um, using our platform of of diving in to, you know, raise awareness for this disease. Um, of one in 10. <laughs> one in 10. Of course, Leslie, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. One in 10 women have it. That's millions and millions and millions That's of people. Insane. And um, Jenna, who we have on today, you know, was one of those people to help guide me and give me these resources. So I, I'll just make my story kind of brief and short. Um, I basically was having symptoms even as a child. Um, my first periods were very, very intense and very heavy and kind of scary as a kid. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I got on the pill when I got to college. And a lot of my symptoms were totally masked while I was on the pill. And in about 2014, I decided to get off. And oh my gosh, did everything change. Um, my digestive symptoms start, suddenly started going haywire. I got severe cystic acne all over my face. But the most concerning symptom was that every three weeks, like clockwork, I would have excruciating and debilitating periods. Now, for someone who may not know what endometriosis is like, the only way that I can describe it um, from my perspective is it feels like someone has barbed wire just wrapped around your organs and your legs and your back and you are just writhing in pain to where it feels like nothing can really touch the pain. Um, there were times when I would kind of look down on myself. Like I would feel like I was having an out of body experience um, because my head was clear, but my body was in pain. And obviously my husband, Rob, watching me and helping me get through this, he recognized how severe this was. And he was a massive advocate for me. Um, and, you know, endometriosis does present itself differently to many women, which Jenna does talk about. But long story short, I recently on January 17th, 2022, had my big excision surgery with Dr. Iris Orbuck in Los Angeles. And for the first time, in so many years, I can see kind of a brighter future ahead for myself. She removed so much endometriosis, um, gave me a whole lot of validation, and it's been a really big turning chapter of my life. Um, I'm just really grateful that, you know, I can use my the platform that I do have to to raise awareness about this disease. 
Um, you know, you hear about celebrities like Halsey and Amy Schumer and um, Mae Whitman. They they are all incredible advocates. And there's also millions of other women that are dealing with this. So I just encourage, you know, if you suspect that you have endometriosis to listen to this episode, if you have a friend that might have endometriosis to listen to this episode, but also just as people in general, I think it's really, really important to open ourselves up to the compassion and empathy that there are people in our lives that are going through chronic pain and chronic illnesses. And this might give you kind of a better understanding of how to be there for that person totally, and how to like help them through the guilt that we feel when we do have to cancel weddings, events, you know, we're not just making it up and trying to get out of things. We just really need some love and support. So without further ado, Jenna Reesh. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Yay. Yay. Thanks Hello. for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, this is just one of those topics where you were like the first person that I thought of. I knew that we we had to have you on and had to have a good conversation because you've been a massive part of my endometriosis journey. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here with you. And this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So <laughs> yes, and we are we are going to definitely dive into it. Um, it. But yeah, going back to what I was just saying, you and the Endometriosis Coalition and Jillian, like, I don't think if it were for you guys that I would have just had the life-changing surgery that I just had um, and the information that you give to people is just so invaluable. Like, it is just, like, beyond... I don't know. Um, so I'm really, really curious to hear just kind of the ins and outs of it, but also um, we'll get into your story and all of those things. But just like on a personal note, I just want to thank you for for being that person on the internet, but also like you you go beyond that. You're like there in person sending me voice notes and like checking on me. So it means a lot. Yeah, of course. I'm honestly, I'm happy to do it. I feel like it's my purpose here in life to help people get to the other side like you. So it makes my heart so happy to hear that I was able to do that in any small way for you. That's incredible. And also for people listening who aren't familiar with endometriosis or don't know the extent of the pain that it causes, I think this episode is going to be really great to shine light on that because, you know, like I've saw Leslie go through this whole process and there are so many days where she was just in so much pain and it's so hard to put yourself in someone else's body in that moment. So going through all of this and diving in, I think it'll be really important for other people to learn more about and spread the word to, um, you know, just have more support and and care for people who are struggling and going through something like that. But before we dive in deep, we start on the surface. <laughs> this is This is diving in. So on this podcast, we start off with more surface-level questions and conversations typical to that of what you may be seen in a normal interview. And then as we go on, we dive deeper and explore topics that are more personal, like internal struggles of the content creation industries, imposter syndrome, and overcoming health struggles. So for our surface-level rapid-fire questions, we're going to start easy. <laughs> um, so what's your favorite dog breed? What's your favorite cheese? And what is your favorite recent song? Oh, my gosh. I'm in the wrong place to say this, but I'm actually a cat person. I'm not okay. really a dog person. You I know, love dog, of course. But we I'm love really we love cats dog and dogs. Person. We yes. love cats and dogs. Any animal. <laughs> um, my favorite cheese. 
I'd say usually hard cheeses because that's what my stomach can tolerate digesting. Oh, yeah. Same. And <laughs> what was the last one? Uh, favorite song recently. My my favorite song recently. Hmm. Or of all time. Of all time. I would say probably um, Cecilia and the Satellite by Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. Wait, wait. This is crazy. Amazing. <laughs> we just had him on last week. No way. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Sam and he's coming on uh, for listeners listening to Diving In. He will be on in about three weeks from now. But that is so <laughs> serendipitous because, um, yeah, we were talking about how Andrew, you know, his music really, like Leslie was saying, the song Swim kind of helped her through mm-hmm. a really hard time with Endo. And I, we love that you're a fan of Andrew. That's amazing. Oh, huge fan. Fan is probably an understatement, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome <laughs> to the perfect. club. We Yay. <laughs> awesome. Before we get into the interview, can you just give us your definition on what endometriosis is for any of our listeners that don't know what it is? They may have heard about it. They you know, have someone in their life that says, oh, I have endometriosis. Um, just your best definition of what this disease is. Sure. So endometriosis is when cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus end up in parts of the body outside of the uterus. Um, That caveat of similar to is really important because we've learned over time that those cells aren't exactly the same as the cells in uterus. And so they don't act exactly the same. Um, And that kind of comes into play when we talk about different hormones and how they'll work or not work. Um, So the cells are similar, but not exactly alike. Wow. And and how can you describe um, the pain that we can feel or some of like the main main symptoms? Yeah, this, the symptom profile for endometriosis is kind of a constellation, which is part of, you know, the burdens of getting diagnosed is that it looks like so many other things. Um, of course, you have kind of your classic symptoms, which are painful periods. Um, low back pain is a common complaint. Thigh pain, hip pain, groin pain. Um, when you start looking at more systemic symptoms from the inflammation, you'll see a lot of people complain of brain fog and chronic fatigue. Um, depending on where your endometriosis lesions are or near, you may have some type of organ dysfunction that is exhibiting, such as if it's near or on your colon, you might have GI effects like nausea and uh, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. Um, I had it on my diaphragm, so one of my classic symptoms were shortness of breath shoulder blade pain, uh, neck pain, and chest pain. So really, it is all over the map. Um, and and dependent on where, you know, where you have the disease will, will kind of be what your symptoms look like. Wow. That's so hard to track. That's yeah. crazy. It, it is truly like a whole body disease. I don't think I even quite realized that until I just had my excision surgery. And now that, you know, she got so much out of me, I'm seeing how much has changed. And just like in every aspect of my daily life, it's like, wait, I'm not having that anymore. Wait, my anxiety and depression has gotten better. Um, My face is less inflamed and the list goes on. Um, But yeah, I also wasn't fully aware that you know, you can have it from such a young age. Um, we, we kind of tracked that I've had it since I was a young girl. And that's why, you know, my mom had to take me to certain doctor appointments when I was in seventh grade. And um, the symptoms can pre- present kind of at any time of your life. Yeah, same here. Um, I can definitely relate to that in that if I really look back 
and growing up, I had definitely had GI symptoms before any of the pain started for me. Wow. So tell us your story. Where are you from? What were your days before endometriosis like? Yeah. So I am originally from New Jersey. Um, I went to nursing school at LaSalle University in Philadelphia. I moved out to Los Angeles in 2011. Um, So before I was diagnosed, I was working as an oncology nurse manager at the UCLA Outpatient um, Oncology Center. I was in grad school at Drexel University getting my master's in nursing education. Um, I was still competitive distance running. I've been a distance runner since I was like 10. Um, So my weekends were training and studying and working. My husband and I joke when I met him, he said that my life was cancer and running because that's all I did. And it's, it's actually true. (laughs) That's, that's all my life revolved around. Um, and then when I got sick, every, everything changed. Um, I had to quit my job and go on disability. I had to quit grad school because I was failing classes. Um, I basically became a full-time patient at the age of 27. Wow. And what were your first signs and symptoms of endo? um, And how did you kind of navigate that it was endometriosis? Yeah, it wasn't a straightforward path like it it isn't for most people. Um, But mine was particularly rare in that. Like I said, I didn't have your classic pelvic pain and period pains. My periods were actually really mild my whole life. Um, I was on birth control starting when I was 18. So I would have those like bleed weeks that are kind of those fake periods. They'd last for two days and that was it. No cramps, no nothing, nothing to write home about. Um, and then when I turned 26, I switched from an from the birth control pill to an IUD. And that is the first time I had symptoms associated with endometriosis. But I didn't know that's what it was at the time. So looking back, the birth control was obviously suppressing whatever was going on from a symptom uh, perspective but the disease was still growing inside of me. And so when I got off the birth control, it kind of reared its head. Um, So my very first symptom was pain in the right upper side of my stomach. And it was, um, I'll describe it as like a very sharp pain, almost like being stabbed. If I could imagine what that felt like, that's that's how I could describe it felt like. And it was with every breath and it was very intense. Um, The first day that it happened, I was driving to work actually. And I thought it was just like a cramp and was just kind of trying to breathe through it, but it wasn't going anywhere. And just as the the drive went on, it was getting more and more intense. And it was obvious something was wrong, but I was still going to try to push and work through it. And then um, nurses, we have these little like huddles in the morning before we start taking care of our patients. And my boss looked at me and was like, what are you doing here? You're not working like this because she could just tell something was off. So I had to go down to the ER, the whole, you know, work up every test that you can think of, imaging, thinking it was my gallbladder and, and nothing came back conclusive um, and was just pretty much told to follow up with my PCP about it. And that was the beginning of this never ending saga of endometriosis, except I didn't know that's what it was going to be at the time. Did anyone in your life at that point have endometriosis? Did you know? Yeah. No, I'd never heard of it. And even then I still hadn't, I had no idea it had anything to do with um, my period. After that very first pain attack, um, it went away. The pain went away after about three days. And so I was just like, oh, that was probably some kind of weird fluke thing. Um, but then it came back next month and then it came back the month after and then the month after that. And I started noticing that it was always in my period week that the pain would start and end. 
So I actually took it to my gynecologist and said, hey, I'm noticing I have pain in this really weird spot. I was like almost embarrassed to bring it up because I'm like, how could these things be related? Like it's the upper side of my stomach. Like how could that be related to my period? And I brought it to her and was just like, hey, just want to run this by you. Like I'm noticing this cycle. And she was just like, I don't know how those could be related. So she poo-pooed it. So I just kind of forgot about it and didn't pursue it. And I just kind of continued that way for like the next year, just like having this pain that came and went with my period. Wow. What was the kind of final straw that really made you be like, okay, I have to check this out because this is like something is wrong? Yeah, it was this slow buildup. So like over about a year, I had, like I said, this cyclical period pain. Um, And I just kind of lived with that. I just expected it was coming, took ibuprofen when it came and kind of went on with my life when I didn't have it. And it was actually, um, I I came up on my one-year IUD placement check. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling on pursuing endometriosis as a diagnosis. It's such a fluke that this happened. I went to a Planned Parenthood to get it checked because I didn't feel like making an appointment because um, I was so busy. I just wanted to be able to walk in. And they couldn't find my IUD strings. I don't think I've actually ever even told anyone this story. This is so funny. <laughs> so they couldn't find my IUD strings. So the nurse practitioner there was kind of freaking out because they don't have an ultrasound on site to check its placement. And, you know, there's fear of it perforating the uterus. And she just felt more comfortable sending me to the ER to make sure that it was in the right place because it was the weekend. So I go to the ER and they're doing their exam and it's really painful to me internally. And it always had been. Pelvic exams were always very painful for me, but I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Um, And so that was painful. And they just kind of were like, I don't know, like your IUD is in the right place, but something just seems off. We think you should follow it with your OBGYN. So I go see an OBGYN. Um, a new one, not the very first one that I told about the cyclical pain because I'd moved to a different part of Los Angeles. And in meeting her and going through my whole history and physical exam, she started asking me all kinds of questions about pain with sex and my bowel habits. And I was saying yes to so many things. And she was the very first person to, to ask me if I had ever heard of endometriosis. So this was like a year after the very first time I experienced pain. And the crazy thing is that on average, correct me if I'm wrong, the average person, it takes ten, seven to 10 years to be diagnosed. Yeah. And one thing that I wasn't aware of personally before going on this journey with endometriosis is how hard you have to fight, like going doctor to doctor. And like, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent researching on the internet, you know, mm-hmm. of like what my symptoms are and could this really be endo and even leading up to my surgery, I felt I feel like I was gaslighting myself that like mm-hmm. I didn't even have endo and my pain wasn't even real and like all of these things. So it's it is it is a very traumatic thing to every however long your cycle is, twenty eight days, whatever, be having this impending doom of pain. Yeah. And so like on those days where you're not in that pain, you're like researching and it just becomes your whole world. Yeah. Yeah, easily. And I know I got lucky in that the very first person I saw about it at least knew enough to know what it was. Well, enough to to put a name to what she thinks I might have. I got lucky in that sense. But everything from that point on was just kind of a nightmare. Um, like you said, Leslie, I didn't do any of the research at that initial, initial diagnosis because I just trusted that 
I was seeing the right people and they were telling me the right thing. So why would I, you know, I'm at this world-renowned medical center. Why would I need to double check anything they're telling me? And it, it wasn't until years into my journey that I learned that that could not have been further from the truth. So you get the word endometriosis. You you have a suspected diagnosis. What what came next for you in your your journey? What happened next? Yeah. So mind you, I already had the IUD. I was using that for birth control purposes. So this doctor pretty much explained it almost like we were talking about like the common cold or flu it was just like, oh yeah, this is what it is. And this is what people have. And this is how we treat it, birth control and pain meds. So I was like, oh, okay, simple enough. So she puts me on the birth control pill on top of my IUD. So now I'm just like being pumped full of hormones <laughs> um, and it's not helping. So then we switched to a different pill and then that's not working. So then we've switched to a patch and I probably spend a good six to eight months just switching different types of birth control to see if something will help. And none of them did. And I'm getting worse as this time's going on. So it's not just during my period anymore. Now the pain's becoming daily and my pain-free days are becoming less and less frequent and nothing that we're doing is working. Um, so again, I'm kind of like, in my mind, I'm like, well, she's saying this is what it is and this is what you do for it. It's not working for me. Like, I guess I just have to learn how to live with this. And so that's that's what I started to do. Um, I just did whatever I could to stay comfortable throughout my work day and then dealt with the pain when I got home from work since I couldn't really do much about it while I was taking care of patients besides like ibuprofen really. Um, and it was probably another six months of, of that, of me just living that way. Um, still functional, but obviously in pain and something was wrong with me, but I was still able to just kind of like make it through my days. Um, and then it was actually... I was seeing, I just, I feel like I have so many like angel doctors come into my diagnosis stories, but I was seeing a, a PCP um, that was a resident, so like a baby doctor, basically. <laughs> um, and he was just very thorough when he was doing my yearly physical exam and we were kind of going over my daily medications. And I, you know, we talked about how much ibuprofen I was taking and he was like, why are you taking so much ibuprofen every day? And it was at the point where my blood pressure was getting high because of all of the ibuprofen. And he's like, you're too young for me to put you on medicine. I think it's from this, but like, this is the only thing you can use for your pain. So I don't want to take you off of this. And so then he was the one to say, like, well, we know, we've never done a diagnostic surgery. So how do we even know for sure that this is what we're treating? And I was like, huh, good point. <laughs> good point. We don't know for sure. So it was actually his recommendation, not even my OBGYN, that I do a diagnostic surgery. Because his mind was that if there's some other disease that I'm dealing with, we need to, we need to be figuring that out if it's not endometriosis. Uh, so that was how I got to being referred to a surgeon to actually diagnose whether I had endometriosis or not. And that's a really good point to bring up to listeners is that, you know, surgery is the only way that you can be a hundred percent certain that you do have endometriosis. Yes. In, in cases where there's deep infiltrating disease, sometimes you might be able to see it on an MRI or ultrasound, but like Leslie said, that's not a 100% confirmation. It's just a best guess at that point. And that adds so much pressure too, because then you think, you know, like Leslie said earlier, what if this is all in my head? What if I am not actually feeling this pain? What if I don't have it? And then you go through the surgery to then not find it. That's so difficult as well. It's it's so hard. It's one of those things that can't be studied in depth like other diseases that can be tracked on something like an MRI or an ultrasound. And that's just so difficult with the whole process in general. That's actually what happened at my first surgery. Or what I was oh, told. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think that Leslie can prob probably echo this sentiment that for an endo patient, like 
that's almost our worst fear is going in and being told nothing's wrong, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. And that, that happened to me. So I went into the surgery and it was with a, not an endometriosis specialist because at this time I didn't even know that that existed. Um, so it was a surgeon that specialized in taking care of like gynecological cancers. So from a skill perspective, my OBGYN felt like this was the best person to do my surgery in case we found any endometriosis. And, um, when I woke up from that surgery, he told me that he didn't find anything and that everything looked great to him. And that, and I recorded it because I knew I wasn't going to remember what he said, <laughs> um, being under anesthesia and that he saw some areas that looked a little bit hypervascular, which means just like a lot of like, like red basically. And he said, I, I biopsied those spots just in case, but like, I didn't see anything really obvious. So you're good. And I was devastated, obviously, because I'm like, well, now what What does this mean? What's wrong with me? And um, two days later, he called me and told me that the pathology came back positive for one of the biopsies that he took from my right diaphragm. And that is the only reason that I got a diagnosis of that surgery. Whoa. Had it not been for that, and there are some surgeons that don't take biopsies. Had it not been for that, I would be one of those people that is still walking around thinking that it's in my head and and nothing's really wrong with me. And so I'll have people reach out to me constantly that'll say, I had my first surgery and they said, I don't have anything. And I always ask, well, who did you have it with? Because Mm -hmm. that is just as important as the procedure itself. Sorry to go on that tangent, but I just feel like that's so important. And I don't want people to get, you know, discouraged um, if that does happen to them after their very first surgery, because that's exactly what happened to me and doing it with a non-specialist. Totally. And I feel like that brings up a good point about medical gaslighting. You know, it's like when it comes to endo or chronic illnesses, I feel like this happens so much where doctors will, you know, just assume or somewhat gaslight into you thinking that you don't actually have this disease. And from a nurse's perspective, like how is that experiencing someone telling you these things, but then you're also a nurse and you know so much about your body and did you get in your head a lot about that experience? Yeah, it's hard because, you know, I'm an expert in my specialty, but GYN might as well have been like a completely different language to me, you know? Totally. I think um, I've shared that I I didn't hear of endometriosis until I was diagnosed and a lot of people are surprised by that, but like I didn't learn about it in nursing school. Um, I had a mother baby clinical experience that was like six months. And and during that time, all I saw was babies being born. So I had like no introduction to pelvic pain or any of that in schooling. And so then right from school, I went into oncology. So I had no reason to ever come across a patient like me. So everything that I was being told, I just took as as Bible truth because these were the specialists, like they knew better than me. Mm -hmm. Um, So honestly, I didn't question anything uh, until I just wasn't getting better with what they wanted me to do. And it, it's hard to to like stand up for yourself sometimes when you come to face to face with a doctor. You know, this is someone that's gone to medical school, and you you have a lot of trust in them that they they know what to do with you. But then you're like, this is my body. Um, I didn't have quite the experience you had with your first surgery, but it does feel feel similar in ways where. I left believing and being told that my endo was a lot less severe than it actually was. Um, she said she found a few little spots and like removed an endometrioma on my right ovary. But if I wanted the endo to go away forever, I should either get pregnant or get on the pill. Oh and so gosh. 
I spent the next, I would say, year and a half almost trying to convince myself that it was all over. I was done with it. I just like almost went through this period of not even wanting to like I even unfollowed some endo accounts for a while. I was like kind of in this freaked out shell of like, okay, like I'm just going to kind of move on from this and then it won't come back. Um, and obviously it did with a vengeance. And then after my, my surgery with Dr. Orbuck, she was like, I cannot believe what she did not find in your Mm -hmm. surgery, because this has been there for years and years and years since you were a child. I'm so sorry, like that you had a surgery and it took another three, four years for you to like actually get any true answers. And that was hard for me to kind of come to terms with for a while. It's like, Mm -hmm. if I had the knowledge to go off the bat with a specialist, and this kind of goes for any sort of chronic illness. I have a friend right now who's dealing with a rare autoimmune condition and she's just starting to navigate what to do next. And like my first thing that I said to her was like, find a specialist, just like, just like, don't even go through, you know, the traditional routes, just like find your specialist. Um, and I think that's a good piece of advice to be giving people, right? Absolutely. That a specialist shouldn't be like the last resort, especially when it comes to endo where the more surgeries you get, the worse off your prognosis is going to be at the end of the day. Um, so getting into a specialist as soon as you can is, is so important. I am a person who lives and deals with anxiety on a near daily basis. I go to therapy, which helps a lot, but I've found that my dietary habits play a huge role in how I'm feeling mentally. I've been drinking the Organifi green juice every day, which has a clinical dose of ashwagandha, and I feel a massive reduction in my anxiety. The clinically studied ashwagandha helps to reduce stress, promote relaxation, support a healthy immune system, promote memory and concentration, support a good quality of sleep, and so much more. It's amazing. Not to mention, buying organic veggies to juice at home can be a hassle and so expensive. This product is a game changer because you just put a scoop into water and it is a tasty organic green juice with all the vitamins you need. You can get 20% off all Organifi products by using the code DIVINGIN at Organifi.com or go to Organifi.com slash DIVINGIN. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. So when did you begin documenting your pain on social media and what was the response like at first from the public? Sure. Um, To get into that, I have to share just a little bit about what got me to this next phase in my diagnosis journey. Um, So after I got that biopsy confirmed um, diagnosis of endometriosis, then I agreed to go on hormone suppression through a drug called Lupron, uh, which we could have like 10 talks on on that alone. (laughs) But uh, I'll just wrap that up into the idea of it is that it it turns off your hormone production, puts you into a medically induced menopause. And the idea is that if you're not having hormone circulating, then the endometriosis isn't being stimulated and causing issues. In theory, it sounds great, but it's not. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was like 27 experiencing menopause. I was miserable and angry and anxious and just felt terrible um, it didn't help my pain at all. And I was supposed to do it for six months and I only lasted three because I felt so, so poorly on it. Um, so then I started seeing more doctors and getting more opinions and was just kind of being told by everyone that like, I should be getting better on these medications. So then they were doubting whether endometriosis was even what was wrong with me. 
even though I had the biopsy diagnosis. I actually had one doctor tell me she didn't believe the biopsy. Um, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, because in their head, like, this is how you treat endometriosis, and this is how you should be feeling, and it just nothing was working for me. So then I'm starting to wonder, like, am I just this weird, rare case, or, like, what is going on? Is it more than this? So obviously my head's, like, spinning on, like, what do I do now? Because everyone seems to just kind of have given up on helping me figure this out. Um, so that led me down this whole path of seeing cardiologists and pulmonologists and every doctor under the sun having so many different tests to see if possibly anything else besides endometriosis could be making me feel as badly as they do. And I knew in my gut that it was that. I had no other health history besides this diaphragm endometriosis, but like, it's almost like nobody wanted to believe that this disease could make somebody as sick as I was. Um, and this is where I was now at this point, not working anymore and out of school. And just, I just felt so bad all the time. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't sleep. I was in pain all the time. Um, and we just hit a dead end with every specialist saying, your heart's fine. Your lungs are fine. Everything's fine. And I'm like, but I still feel terrible. Um, so I ended up then finally starting to do my own research. So this is almost two years into this whole thing where I'm finally like, okay, maybe I should learn a little bit more about this disease. And I feel blessed that I have like a nursing background. And so I know how to vet research and I know how to read whether something's, you know, uh, something that I can put my trust into or not. And I found that there weren't great resources out there, that a lot of it was really outdated or the sample sizes of the studies were so small that I'm like, how can you conclude this when you talk to like five people? Um, and I found that really alarming that like this disease that affects so many people, I'm like, why is it so hard for me to find good information about this? So then I specifically started looking for books that were written about endometriosis to see if like, all right, maybe there's some expert that wrote something about this. And so I started ordering books and doing my research that way. And it led me to a Facebook group called Nancy's Nook for like a support group. Um, but what I found there that it was way more informational than it was support, which is what I was looking for. And it had so much information. It was, it's like hitting the jackpot for somebody with endometriosis trying to learn about the disease. But through her, her group, I also found out that there are specialists that specialize in endometriosis. Until then, I had no idea. I was just looking for an OBGYN. Um, and then in doing that, I was able to talk to other women who had had very similar symptoms as mine. Because up to this point, I didn't know anybody else who had had diaphragmatic endometriosis. I was like this unicorn that no one had ever seen before that, that every doctor was like, I've heard of it. It's very rare. So I just felt, you know, I just felt like this experiment walking around everywhere. And I was able to meet other women through Nancy's Nook. And eventually that led me to my specialist in Atlanta, Dr. Ken Sinervo. And I flew out there to meet him because I just didn't want to talk to anyone over the phone about this. I just like needed him to see me and see how sick I was and how desperate I needed his help. I almost went in there thinking like, all right, I need to convince him that I'm sick enough to be his patient. And I feel like a lot of patients don't think that seeing a specialist for their first time makes sense because they're like, well, I don't even know if it's better or how sick am I? And that's kind of how I felt like, am I going to be sick enough for him to want to help me? Um, but I loved him and he off the bat was like 100%. I think that this is what's going on with you. I think that I can help you. And I scheduled a surgery with him for three months from that date. And that's when I started my social media presence, um, basically just documenting my like journey to excision surgery. 
And that's how the whole thing started. I was dealing with this really big thing and I didn't feel comfortable sharing like the ins and outs on my regular Instagram account. So I created this like Finsta that where I could just be as honest and raw as I wanted to be. And that's that was its sole purpose when I first started. I just needed a place to dump all of this stuff that was going on in my life. And then it just turned into something so much, so much bigger than that. That's incredible. I mean, it's it's amazing what the internet can offer. I mean, on diving in, we talk a lot about content creation and um, like the struggles behind content creation and the internet and how it can cause imposter syndrome comparison, et cetera. But sometimes it can be such a beautiful resource. And that's something that, you know, we want to highlight on here as well. It's like, it's not all bad. The internet isn't awful. Like the way that you found um, this Facebook group led you to like a life-saving surgery. And that's an amazing thing. Um, And for like with the community, I feel like, you know, on social media, it's hard to really express the depth of endometriosis and how painful it is and how hard it is for so many people. Um, What's an effective way to kind of advocate for endometriosis to kind of break that barrier on the internet? Yeah, I I think it sounds like such a small thing. And I think a lot of people are like, how does it really help? But sharing your story publicly is so important. I finally got to a point where I was, I said to myself, I feel like I'm part of the problem saying nobody talks about this disease. Nobody knows about this disease. And here I am in secret sharing everything about it. And then no one in my real life has any idea what it is and what's going on. Um, So I had to just like tap into some courage that I didn't have and say, you know, I'm going to talk about this really taboo, uncomfortable thing in all of the public spaces that I talk about everything else about my life, you know, and it was received really well in that people were interested and wanted to know more and knew someone that had it. And I just really felt like if people, if if those of us that are living through it are so uncomfortable sharing about it, how do we expect anybody that doesn't have it to, to learn about it or know about it or care about it even? Um, So there's so much power in just sharing your story. And I know not everybody feels comfortable with that, but even if it's in a small circle of people, I can't tell you how many times I'm in a group of people with so many women that have never heard of endometriosis before until I bring it up in some way. You just never know who you might come across that is going through exactly what you're going through and you just don't know it. I feel like my life now is like pre-excision surgery and post-excision surgery in many ways with how I feel, but also I did become so much more vocal about my endo through this surgery that like I'm notice noticing now that I'm integrating myself back into like having a social life and like, you know, going out and doing things, the amount of people that are coming up to me and being like, thank you for posting that, like that, you know, my girlfriend finally decided to, you know, get the book or, or Buck's book or like go to a doctor or whatever. Um, and it's like, it's just really, really incredible to see what can happen when you have those moments um, of kind of getting out of your comfort zone and being like, you know what, I'm just going to share this if it helps one person, but it Mm -hmm. usually helps way more than just one person. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I always used to ask myself, like, if I had any other disease like diabetes or cancer or something, I would have no problem sharing with everyone Mm -hmm. what was going on. But what is it about this that feels, makes me feel like I shouldn't talk about that. And obviously there's so much societal stuff that we can get into as far as women's health and and all of that and why we can and can't and shouldn't or should talk about these taboo topics or, you know, 
I think that that's a huge barrier into why we don't hear more about diseases like ours is that, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not something that most people are comfortable hearing about, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you go and you watch a commercial on TV and you see ads for Playtex and Tampax Mm -hmm. and the girls are like gym gymnasts and like swimming (laughs) champions. And it's like, what about the girls that have too much pain where they can't even use a tampon? Like, let's Uh talk to those women, you know, like those I would I can't wait for the day. And I know that it's coming that we turn on our TVs and we see something like that. And it's people like you that are making the change, you know, posting and like sharing and going on freaking the Today Show you were on. And like, you know, just you're making it such a beautiful mission to help um, so many people around the country, around the world. Thank I mean, you. that's the thing. Social media is like the world. It's the most yeah. global. Yeah. M- most uh, biggest forum of them all. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And I really believe that diseases that people know about and care about get more attention, more research money, all of that. So like the more we talk about it, and even if it's at nauseum to some people, like it really truly matters. Um, I think having allies outside of just the endo community is really important for our fight. I mean, there's so many of us, there's millions of us, but still that doesn't seem to be enough. Um, So to me, the more people that we can recruit on our behalf to share, to educate, to yell about, you know, the inequality in in our research and treatment options is, is the better, you know? When did you decide to start the Endometriosis Coalition, your nonprofit? Yeah. Um, so I started the Endoco for short, um, a year after my excision surgery. So I had my surgery in 2016 and the Endoco was founded in 2017. And it was built out of that idea of, like I said, it was so hard for me to find information, um, or anyone that like understood what I was going through. And I wanted to create a place that kind of served both purposes, community and education and awareness. Um, so it was really kind of this organic creation and that I was like, well, I have the healthcare background so I, I can make sure that we are only sharing and creating really accurate sources for people. Um, you know, social is a great way for community. It's a great way to include people who don't have the disease and get things in front of their, their eyes. And it just, it just made sense. So our main focus, our awareness, education, and then research since it's so lacking. Um, And it really honestly was just a, this was really hard for me. I felt like I had nowhere to go. That was like a one-stop shop. And how could I make that easier for people? That's incredible. It's crazy too. It's like, there's, you said there's millions of people out there with this and how there's such little information. It's wild. Like I, it's so amazing what you're doing because you're helping so many people who didn't have that access before. And that's such a beautiful thing to be able to just know what's wrong with you when you're in these places where people are telling you, no, everything's fine, or no, you're not feeling any pain. And coming to this place that just feels so connective, such a beautiful thing. Thank you. So for anyone that suspects they have endometriosis, what do you have to say to them? And what do you recommend that they do? Yeah. So first and foremost, bring it up to your doctor if you feel like something's wrong. Uh, I think that period pain and cramps and everything surrounding it is so normalized that so many people don't feel like it's worth mentioning and have lived with such a level of pain for so long that for them, that's their normal, even though that may not be normal for a person's body. 
So I would say if you're in any type of pain that is keeping you from living your life, from going to social events, going to school, going to work, that's not a normal level of pain. Periods are painful, but they should not be excruciating and changing your life. So that's first and foremost. Second, I would say to kind of find a way to keep track of your symptoms. So that's how I was able to learn that mine were cyclical because I was, you know, writing it down on the calendar each time I I would have them. And you can kind of start to learn some patterns in when you're having your symptoms or what triggers them. The more information that you can bring to your doctor, the better. You being a reliable historian, as I like to say, is so important. Um, in one, feeling confident in showing up to your appointment ready and not just showing up as a participant, but like leading it. And this is what I'm here to talk about. And this is what's going on with me instead of just like waiting to be asked all the questions. So I think as much information as you can have with you going into the appointment, um, the better off you'll be. And then I would say, if you don't feel like you're being heard, um, to seek a second opinion that one doctor is not the be all end all to telling you what could be wrong with you. Um, and then, like Leslie said, seeking out a specialist is so important in the very, very, very beginning stages of this disease. I think there's just so much chance for being misdiagnosed that it's really important to see someone that that sees patients like us very, very often. And thank you for that. I think that that's, that's going to be a really great help for a lot of people listening. Um, and one thing that I know you can relate to is just how important our partners have been throughout this experience. Um, so what would you have to say for any partners of someone with endo or dealing with pain or even friends of people, like a roommate of someone, you know, in their life that is going through this disease? Yeah, I think trying to learn about it so that you understand what the person's going through. Like my husband took it upon himself to understand endometriosis. He probably understands it better than most women do at this point, And most doctors do. I know he does. Um, and then for me, I sent all of my friends a copy of Endo What, which is a documentary by Shannon Khan that is kind of like this Endo 101 explains what it is and how to treat it and all these things. And I sent it to every single one of them and said, if you want to understand what's going on with me, watch this. And they all watched it. And so I had a group of support people who actually knew what I was going through. And I can't even tell you how much more that helped because I didn't have to explain myself all the time with my core people. They got it. Um, and that helped. So like when I went on my consults, I didn't have to water things down and dumb things down for them. They like knew what I was actually going through and could really support me through it. So I think taking a personal interest in wanting to learn about the disease is a great way to support anybody. Yeah. That, it's like something that means the most out of anything, you know, just the compassion and knowing that there's someone that can listen to you when you're going through those moments and not make you feel like any sort of burden. One thing I am constantly striving to do for my body is lower inflammation. Higher inflammation means more pain and discomfort. And that's the last thing I want. My number one go-to supplement for inflammation is turmeric complex by paleo Valley. I really, really notice a difference when I am taking this consistently. Their turmeric complex is made with full spectrum, whole food, organic turmeric. Most turmeric supplements only contain one specific compound found in turmeric root curcumin. 
Turmeric Complex contains four powerful superfoods, turmeric, ginger, rosemary, and cloves, the most potent spices for promoting healthy inflammation and protecting against oxidative stress. I'm a huge believer in high quality supplements for our body, and I truly wouldn't recommend this if it wasn't really my go-to. For 15% off, go to paleovalley.com slash diving in. So that experience, you know, when you were dealing with chronic pain before you got the excision surgery, before you really knew what exactly was going on, you know, having to cancel work, events, hanging out with friends because you're in so much pain, that must cause so much guilt and a lot, you know, just really heavy for your mental health. Like, how did you go through that and how did you manage to kind of keep yourself above water in a sense, or was it just a very dark time for you? I mean, it was definitely a dark time for me. I lost everything that I ever knew defined me as a person. Like my entire identity was taken from me because of this disease. And so I was kind of stuck having to face and answer that question. Like, who are you outside of all the things that you like do? Um, Like, what do you actually like (laughs) outside of the things your body is is capable of doing. And so that's a really hard question to confront, especially when you like are home and in bed all day and have way too much time to think. Um, Relationships were really tricky to navigate. I definitely lost friends throughout that period and people that just didn't understand. Um, I would force myself to show up for things when I could, but people didn't get it that that didn't mean that I was better just because I showed up to the event for an hour. So I think that there was just this like, not really understanding how to sympathize with me because it is such a fluid disease. And I think I just got so good at masking how I was truly feeling. Um, And then from a, just the outlook on my life of, is this how I'm going to have to live forever? Like, is this it for me? And what does that mean? And what does that look like if this is, this is as good as it gets? Um, My faith is, is what I leaned on. That's what I know. Um, to get me through hard times. If I didn't have that, I, I I honestly don't know where I would be. I just had to believe that, that there was something better for me. Um, and that there was going to be a purpose in all of it. I, I truly believed that. Um, but there, there were nights where I was like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow if it's just going to be another day like this. I won't deny that It, it was really, really hard. Yeah. And with people out there who are struggling with chronic pain and endometriosis, do you have any suggestions of little rituals or things that you did to kind of help you lift your spirits throughout the process? Honestly, I was just in such survival mode during that time that I was just trying to get through every hour. I like, I don't even want to sit here and act like I had this whole self-care routine to no, like, totally. make that's things why, easier. That's I why not. we ask, because it's like yeah. diving in, we want to take like the mask off the realities yeah. of things. And you know, if yeah. it was like just not a good time, that is totally <laughs> I didn't have the answer. space like if I like yeah. maybe I could have gone to therapy but I don't even think that I was in a headspace where anything anyone told me could have been helpful <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, totally. to me how badly I felt yeah yeah I totally get that it's like you know I, I love my therapist so much, but there were, there were even times leading up like, oh, you know, when you're in pain, you can like meditate or like just bubble. And it's like, that is the last thing that you want to do <laughs> yeah. when you are like literally like in the fetal position, like trying not to scream and yeah. cry. Like yeah. you're, you're not thinking about meditation. Like I'm, I'm a spiritual person and it, it's amazing how like I would use, I would lean on that 
in those moments, but at the same time, I would sometimes like push it away and like mm-hmm. denounce everything completely because I'm like, this is so unfair. And, you know, like, what is the purpose in all of this? And I guess that gets me to my next question. Now we're kind of getting into the diving deep phase of the episode. Um, are you grateful for your journey with endometriosis? <sighs> I like that question, and it's such a hard one to answer. I don't know if I can ever say I'm grateful for the disease itself and in having it. I'm grateful for who I've become because of it. I wish that I could have become this person without without endometriosis, but I don't know if that that's true. If I weren't so desperate and experienced such suffering where I had to reevaluate my entire life. I don't know that I'd have the empathy for others that I have or the appreciation for just every good moment that I have. I don't know that it could have come without such dark times. Um, So I'm thankful for who it made me, but I wish I never had to have the disease. I can completely empathize. And having endo be such a huge part of your identity now, you know, like running the Endoco and social media and being such an advocate for this disease, do you feel like it's sometimes a lot of weight to carry to represent that? Oh, absolutely. I My husband helps me with this because if it were up to me, I would just do this stuff 24-7, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, he reminds me that if I'm going to be in this for the long haul, which I hope to be, because this is not going to be like an overnight change. I'm going to be at this for probably the rest of my life, that I have to be really smart and pace myself, which means I have to step away sometimes. So I've really kind of built in boundaries of when I respond to DMs or when I'm active on social life. Sundays are my Sabbath days and where I don't do like anything I love related that. to any of this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like a true rest from it. And I that's helped a lot. Yeah, because like talking about, you know, it is a form of content creation, um, what you do. And with us, too, in, in our jobs, you know, working in social media so often, it's really hard to instill boundaries because it is a 24-hour thing. Like, it doesn't sleep. So I think that's so important to just give yourself that time to just be like, nope, not touching my phone, not looking at it, just to have that space. Because, I mean, with what I do, I work in cheese and cheese plates, and that turned into such a huge part of my identity that I really had to be like, okay, what else do I like besides (laughs) this thing? Um, But yeah, that work kind of work-life balance when work becomes your life, but it's also an experience you went through. That's a whole nother added layer of like a disease, which you now work in, which was your life. Like there's so many elements to that where boundaries are so important for sure. For sure. And I definitely realized there was a lot of trauma surrounding that experience that certain things triggered that I didn't like realize did. And I really needed to look at that about like, you know, what I needed to step away from and when, um, cause like you said, it was like a lived experience that will forever be with me and is something that I'll probably be working on healing through in some way for, for a long time. Yeah. And then receiving DMS that you know, you, like you said, the the level of empathy that you have now because you've been through the pain and you know what these people are going through. But, you know, even on a Doug the Pug level, endo aside, when I get DMs from people telling me stories about how their pug just passed and, you know, they're grateful for Doug, but like they're, this is 
all of the things that just happened with their pug and this is why it happened. And it is just like, my heart goes out to them so much, but it also makes my body just freeze up. And then all I can think of for the next hour is what I just, the message I just received. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to definitely put up boundaries or, you know, I get, I have the DM pop up. Nope. I can't look at that right now. Like I send you love. I wish you well, but like, I just can't take this on myself. And I'm sure there's such a huge level of that with what you do because, you know, people are in pain and they're desperate and they need help and you, you are helping them, but there's only so much that you can extend yourself. Um, when your goal is also to, to do this on such a wide level. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget there's a human on the other side of it <laughs> that I oh, yeah. business. Yeah. That I do this because I feel like I'm supposed to, and, and I really care about it and that I don't get paid for any of it. Um, I still, I respond to every single DM that I get. And that's one thing that I've not been able to move away from. And I've tried to like do Q and A's more and just like put them in highlights. But I just, it just eats at me when I don't personally respond to someone. Um, I really do view that space as like my community and people that like get me through my hard times too. And I feel like I owe it to them to at least like respond to their their DM. So like I, I answer every single one. Sometimes it's a month later. Um, but I really do try to get back to everybody. I don't know if I'll be able to maintain that forever, but as long as I can, I'd like to. So one question that I have, and it's something that Rob and I just went through on a crazy level, getting ready for my surgery. Um, long story short, a few, literally two days before we flew out, we found out that insurance wasn't covering the hospital at all. Um, and we got a call from the hospital that basically we had to pay an insane amount of money by 2 p.m. Pacific time or else my surgery was canceled. And mind you, the flights are booked. The Airbnb is booked. The surgeon's booked. The second surgeon's booked. You know, all of my pre-op appointments have been done. It was set in stone. So we had to have this like literal 30-minute powwow of like, are we going to do this? Can we do this? And is this worth it? So I guess my question is endometriosis is not a cheap condition by any means. Did you feel like there came a point where you had to make a decision by yourself or with your husband on whether or not like your pain and your body was worth such an investment? Cause that was a, a huge moment for me. Like my body is not a car. It is, it is my, my home. Like my body is my body and I, I had to do whatever it took to make it happen. That's exactly how I went into it. Um, I was kind of forewarned that a lot of the specialists don't take insurance and there's a lot of reasons why that's so and a lot of injustices that exist within the world of endometriosis that make it that way. Um, some do, but a lot don't, a lot can't. Um, and that's kind of the the decision we have to make as patients of is like, is this worth pursuing or can I just settle for this next best thing? Um, that's a lot a lot cheaper for me. And I went into it thinking I want my best shot at being well. So whatever that costs, I have to figure out a way to make that happen. It was insanely stressful. So ahead of my surgery, I had completely changed insurance carriers. I researched like who, who had out of network benefits because I had to travel from Los Angeles to uh, Atlanta. So I researched to what my, my current plan under my, um, my employer, cause I was on disability. I was still under employee health insurance 
And I was coming up on the period where I either had to say I was going to continue theirs or I was going to accept the, going to take my own through um, Obamacare. And in doing my research, I found that it was going to be in my better interest to take an Obamacare plan because it had out-of-network benefits and my job plan did not have out-of-network benefits. And so I wanted to try to to bridge that gap of how much I had to pay out of pocket as much as I can. So even if it was only covered at like 30%, like that was better than nothing. So I switched insurance plans. I was paying probably about $400 more a month than I was with my employer also that I could have this surgery be cheaper. And then when it came to it, they denied covering. The That's specialist. what happened to yeah, me. Yeah. Oh. They covered the hospital, but they wouldn't cover my surgeon's fees at the out of network oh rate. Goodness. So basically it was almost like I was a cash payer with him. Mm-hmm. So I appealed it. They helped me um, submit so much documentation on why he's the guy that needs to do this and their success rates and all this research and all the doctors I'd seen at that point, I'd done everything you could possibly do to treat endo. I took the Lupron, the birth control pills. I had the bad surgery. Like I tried everything else. So we were certain that they were going to um, override and, and, and pay for it. And that didn't happen. But I didn't find out that they weren't going to pay for it like for certain until I got back. Because I went thinking, all right, I have enough for the down payment to like get through the door. And whatever I'm left with, like somehow we'll just have to figure it out. And that's insane that you need to think about your health that way. That I, I was signing up for something that very well could have kept me in debt for probably the most of my adult life. And I just had to like be, it was either that or, or what, live the way that I was living. To me, <laughs> it wasn't an pain. option. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, maybe this is controversial and maybe I'll get backlash for this, but it's true. If this were a man's disease, this would not be happening. So I'll just- Hey, if you get the backlash, I get it too, because I agree. (laughs) I'll just do a little mic drop moment on that one. If you were to go back, and I know I think this is probably a hard question as well, but if you were to go back as your younger self and know that you're about to go through this chapter of your life, what- would you tell yourself like what words of advice or any sort of any anything that you would kind of tell yourself ahead of time yeah I probably would have told myself to ask more questions sooner Mm. I was way too trusting right out of the bat um and I hate having to say that because we should be able to trust our doctors and the healthcare system and I'm part of it so I hope that you would trust me but I'm not offended at all when a patient says I know xyz about this disease like you probably know more about it than I do. I shouldn't, my ego shouldn't be hit because you've researched your disease way more than I ever would be able to find the time for. Like, I need to admit that you do know more things than me. But I definitely took the passive patient role in the beginning of my diagnosis journey in that I just yesed everyone and did everything. And thankfully for me, it wasn't like too late before I started advocating for myself but I wish that I had had the confidence, the tools, um, the understanding that I could do that straight out of the gate. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, I would I would probably say a similar thing and to just like love myself through it more and not be so hard on myself. I think with every, you know, canceled event or, you know, gaining weight or whatever it may be, um, I was just so hard on myself and now looking back and being able to look back because the future looks a lot brighter now that I've had my surgery I'm like oh my god I was struggling so hard and it is a miracle that I even 
um, had the strength to get out of bed some days. So yeah, I agree. The things that I pushed myself to do, I look back and I'm like, why? For what? Like people right? pleasing. Like, like, no, like, I, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, no, like there's nothing important enough. Like it, I, I had this one time I was in the ER all night till like three in the morning and started work at seven and had like this presentation to give. So I like forced myself to go. No one knew anything that was going on. And I look back and I'm like, why? Like, for what? Mm-hmm. That presentation could have gotten pushed back, <laughs> rescheduled, right? Like, what is what is the point of, yeah. of pushing myself to that degree, you know? It sort of, like, makes you think about just corporate America and, like, these structures that were put in in general. When you're sick and you're in chronic pain, you're like, none of that really matters at the end of the day. All that matters <laughs> oh, yeah. is my health, like, yeah. truly. Absolutely. It's, it's all we have at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, but... In some exciting news, you have been writing a book and yeah. you have, so I would, can you tell us all about the book, what it, what it is, when is it coming out? We want to hear all about it. Yeah, of course. So, uh, the book is called part of you, not all of you shared wisdom and guided journaling for life with chronic illness. Um, so one of the tools in my toolbox of trying to navigate all of this craziness was journaling. Um, I'm definitely someone who like needs to just dump it all onto a page. So I'm not carrying it around with me all day and staying in my head. Um, so I had this like free form journal that I just wrote about anything and everything. And it, I started it at the beginning of this journey and I still have it and I build on it through the years. And it's just so mind blowing to read through it and to read where I was and where I am now. And I actually read through it, the whole thing in the beginning of COVID because I was bored. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I can't believe like this is where I was and this is what I went through. And just feeling so proud of like how much I've I've worked through. And I realized that like in going through this chronic illness journey, like there was nothing that I felt like from a journal perspective that I really truly identified with. And so that's why I ended up just like creating my own freeform one. Um I had like one for faith specific, you know, prompts and then this free form one. And then I had one for self-care and I'm like, why isn't there one that exists for like chronic illness (laughs) in general? Um, And so I was like searching to see if anything existed and nothing did. And so I was like, well, maybe I should create one. And I started with just kind of like polling my Instagram audience and asking like who's into journaling and who's not. And do you like guided or do you like open and just kind of crowdsourcing like what would make the most sense for a project like this. And then just asking um, like what's the most difficult aspect of living with chronic illness so that I knew what topics to really hone in on. And I just took off from there. I had no idea what the heck I was doing because this book didn't exist before. So I had like no template to follow. (laughs) (laughs) So I just had to kind of like figure out what I hated about certain journals that were were, um, in the same genre, like what I felt was needed and kind of went from there and creating this, this thing. And so it's a collection of guided journal prompts that are like list type and open-ended because sometimes you don't have the capacity for something super heavy to dive into. Sometimes you just want to write three words and sometimes you want to write a bunch of pages. Uh, But then it also gives the the reader an opportunity to be kind of like led through the journey by me. Um, So I tell some like short anecdotes about certain areas of my life with chronic illness, like um, identity and self-worth and um, things like that, relationships. 
Um, and then I also highlight words of, of wisdom from others who have walked the chronic illness journey um, from people like Leslie, who I really admire. Um, and the goal of the book is, you know, we talk about how these things become all consuming and it takes over our entire identity. And these illnesses change who we are as a person. They have, of course, you know, we go through so much. Um, so they're always going to be a part of who we are, but they're not all of who we are. And I want to remind people of that. And so it's really just kind of a space to just navigate this, this life with chronic illness and all the nuances that come with it, but like doing it with, with a friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I love journaling. I'm an avid journaler. So that, that's incredible. I love that. When is it releasing? It's coming out on June 7th. (gasps) Oh, nice. Yes. But pre-order will start at the end of this month. So I will keep the world posted about that. Yes. And we can, we can add that into the show notes once that is live. But, um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and just being such an incredible advocate for endometriosis and just chronic illness in general. I, I said it so much, but you've been there for me a lot through all of this and, um, just really grateful that you could come on diving in. And I think a lot of our listeners will, even if they've never heard of endometriosis, they can walk away and um, be able to relate to any of this somehow, you know, and and spread the knowledge themselves. And yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. Yes. And where can we find you on social media? Yeah, you can find my personal journey at life above underscore illness on Instagram. And then for everything endometriosis coalition related, um, you can find us at the endo.co are all of our Instagram handles and then the endometriosis coalition.co for our website. Incredible. Well, thank you, Jenna, so much. It was so great talking to you and getting to meet you. And thanks for diving in with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Diving In. This show is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is by Rob Schinelli. As always, if you liked this episode, please share us with your friends and family and give us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button to be reminded when a new episode comes out. If you have any questions for the show, our email is info at divingin.community. To stay up to date with all things Diving In, you can follow us on Instagram at divinginpod or visit us online by going to divingin.community. See you next time.